It's like an amen and an applause moment. Woo! Well, that's awesome. Miss Lydia's back in the corner. Uh, kids, uh, you can go back to Miss Lydia, and they're going to go outside today and enjoy. Uh, we'd probably be able to hear them through the windows. Just be as loud as you guys want to. It's okay. We will enjoy and rejoice in being, the, being able to hear children through the window. Um, while they're dismissing and while they're going out, I just wanted to mention on Lydia's behalf, we are seeking to find any folks that might want to assist. We have teachers for every week, but we need assistance every week because we don't want any teachers to be by themselves with children. So if you would be willing to be an assistant with the children, of course, um, there's some things you'd have, some, some hoops you'd have to jump through. We'd do a, a background screening and so forth like that. Many of you already have those background screenings. But if you are not inclined to teach, but you would like to just hang out with the teacher and be a second adult with the kids, um, let me or let Lydia know, uh, and we'll get you guys uh, geared up and going down that road. Um, we're going to be doing something exciting today, and I, I forgot to put my passage up here, so I'm just going to skip by real quick. Um, Philippians, we're starting the book of Philippians, but, but actually we're not starting in Philippians this week, we're going to be starting in Acts, starting in 15. Now, when Lydia and I, um, after we were married, after we finished college, we moved to Seattle. We lived there for a couple of years, and that was the place where the Lord really touched us. We were members of a church. We went on Sunday. We went to a small group, and the kind of various things that you, you all are doing, and, and most people do in church. And the Lord did uh, one of those <laughs> set aside Sean and Lydia for the work <laughs> kind of deals, right? And we're like, oh, wait, the Lord's calling us into something. But because of our, uh, well, especially my upbringing, um, felt like we need to go to seminary first. So we went and we moved to Texas. We went to seminary there for four years. And following that, um, God, well, actually during the process of going to seminary, the Lord showed us and he said, um, what I'm going to want you to do is plant churches, start new churches. And so we actually helped start three new churches, not as the lead people in the church, but as, you know, kind of support team, core team folks. Helped start three churches while we were in seminary. When we were done, we started a church in Ohio. Uh, we started a church in Montana. Most recently, um, we, in between those two things, we were in Poland. We were helping train missionaries and, and church starting and so forth there. Now we're at Elmwood Park Community Church doing a lot of things that are like church planting. I mean, it, church planting stuff is, uh, is important, and, and that's how, honestly, a lot of the church planting things are how you, you get a church to grow. But one of the things that I've noticed over the years of church planting is that every church is different. Every church start is different. Every story of how the church is planted is different. The stories of the people within the church are different. Every church has a different history. Um, we don't know all of the story of the planting of the church in Philippi, but we know a lot more about it than we do about some of the others. There are others that are named briefly that we don't know a whole lot about. And so we're going to take a look in Acts today. We're going to be in uh, chapters 15 and 16. We're going to read quite a bit of Scripture. You know how much I love to read Scripture. We didn't have a, a whole lot read during the service like we normally do because there's a whole lot in here. We're going to read part of 15 and almost all of 16 together as we talk about the birth of a church. Um, so let's take a look, uh, Acts 15. Uh, turn to Acts 16. I'm sorry, 15, verse 36. And this picks up right after the Council of Jerusalem in a part of Acts that's typically referred to as Paul's second missionary journey, okay? So Paul is going to take uh, another missionary journey, and he's going to be sent out 
One of the first things a church plant needs is a team. It's hard to plant a church if you don't have a team. So we're going to read out of Acts 15 and see how the Lord brings together a team to plant the church. So if you'll join me in uh, chapter 15, verse 36, it says this. After some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. Now, Barnabas wanted to take with them uh, John called Mark, but Paul thought it best not to take him with them because he had withdrawn from them while they were in Pamphylia and had not gone on along with them to complete the work. And there arose, it says in Scripture, a sharp disagreement between Paul and Barnabas to the point that they separated. Barnabas took Mark with him, sailed to Cyprus. Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord, And he went to Syria and Cilicia and strengthened the churches, starting in verse 1 and 16. We're going to continue for a moment. It says, Paul came also to Derbe and Lystra, and there was a disciple there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but but his father was Greek. He was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, and they took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were there in those places, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. As they went on their way through the cities, they delivered them, uh, delivered to them for observance the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and the elders who were in Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in faith, and they increased daily in numbers. So we see Acts 15, the beginning of Acts 16. The Lord puts together a team. Uh, it was. It looked like, and this is weird. Church planting kind of still to this day looks this way. You have what you think is going to be the team, right? Paul and Barnabas. But they don't end up, and I've, I've actually had this experience in planting in Montana. I was with another guy, and it didn't end up like, we're not going to be able to work together. So he went and planted a church, and, and we went and planted a church. And that's what happened with Paul and Barnabas. They separated. But they didn't go alone, did they? Paul took Silas. Uh, and then as they were traveling, they also added Timothy to their team. So they set a team. And actually, I would, I would submit to you that the Lord set the team, because if Paul and Barnabas uh, had their way, it might have turned out differently. But the Lord put together the team he wanted to plant the church in Philippi, made up of Paul, Silas, and Timothy. Now, what's another thing a church needs? You have a team, but you need what? Just guess. A leader. Well, the team, what could the team could be the leader? What else? A church. Well, you got to start the church. What else? A place. A place, right? You got to have a place. All right. This is where it really gets interesting. I love this part of the whole story of the planting of the church in Philippi. We're going to continue verse 6 in Acts 16. It says this, and they, so they referring to they in this particular point is Paul, Silas, Timothy. They went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. When they'd come up to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night, a man of Macedonia standing there, urging him, saying this, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go to Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. I love this part. There's several things to note here. First, God expressed himself in the moving of his spirit in the heart of Paul, didn't he? For a specific location. Obviously, Paul um, had other ideas 
Um, first, they went to, uh, or, or at least had in mind, to go to Asia, right? But the Lord said, no, not Asia. Verse 6, the team was forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. Then they had another idea. We'll go to Mysia, we'll go to Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. Verse 7, they wanted to go here and Jesus, you know, Holy Spirit said no. They were going to go over here and Jesus said no. The third, a vision appeared. So three times they were redirected. Not here, not here, but here. A vision appeared to Paul in the night, a man in Macedonia standing and urging him, saying, Come to Macedonia and help us. And the team was obedient, in verse 10, to listen. In fact, it said, what? They went immediately. They determined, it says, when Paul had seen the vision, they immediately sought to go on into Macedonia, concluding God had called them. That's kind of, I think there's a little humor there. They concluded after God said, no, not here, no, not there. Hey, in a vision over here, they concluded that God must be calling them to go to this place, right? I think there's a little humor there. I don't know about you, but I would conclude the same thing, right? Paul and Silas and Timothy were called together as a team, and then they were sent to a specific place. Now, having done church planning before, you always have ideas, you know, you're, you're listening to the Spirit, and you're praying, and you're thinking, I'll, I'll, I'll do this. And you have grand visions in your mind of what it's going to look like. And this is going to continue into the story. You have grand visions of where it will be, what it will look like, and who will be in the church. So that's, a, that's the third thing we need, right? You've got a team. You've got a place. Now you need some people. You ever heard that story? That, that little, what is it? Uh, here's the church. Here's the steeple. Open the doors, there's all the people. Well, we don't have a church in a steeple, but you got to have people to have a church, right? you got to call together people who come to faith in Christ, are baptized, are saved, and become the body. And I love the story that we have here because we see in the rest of Acts 16 the story of the first members of the church of Philippi. So let's read. The first one's one of my favorites. If you know the story, you'll know why. If you don't, you will in a moment. Starting in verse 11, it says, So setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace, and the following day to Neapolis, from there to Philippi, which is the leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. We remained in the city some days. Now, a little parenthetical note here. Typically, when Paul went into a place to start a church, he would find a synagogue. And he would meet there with the Jews. He would share the gospel of Jesus Christ. And God would call out from among the Jews, people who would believe in Christ would become saved, baptized, and become the church. Philippi didn't have a synagogue. So uh, that's the parenthetical note here. Starting in verse 13, it says, On Sabbath day, because there was no synagogue, it doesn't say that in the Scripture, but we know that this is the fact. On the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside where we supposed, <laughs> hoped, read, there was a place of prayer and we sat down and we spoke to the women who had come together. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia. Now you know why this is one of my favorite stories. My wife's name is Lydia. <laughs> She's not the Lydia that's mentioned here. <laughs> Obviously. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul after she was baptized in her household as well, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house 
and stay, and she prevailed upon us. So there was no synagogue, so often as it is in church planting, you try to find places where there are people to talk to because it's important. If you're going to plant a church, you've got to talk to people. You've got to meet people. You have to find places people are at. You have to have conversations with them that lead towards gospel conversations. You have to get to know folks, share lives with each other. And so Paul, knowing there was no synagogue here, went to a place where he supposed there would be a place of prayer out at the edge of the city. And that is where he found women who were meeting. Now note, Lydia was a God-fearer. She was a, a, a person who was a worshiper of God. But the Lord opened her heart to receive the gospel of Jesus Christ. So while she knew of God, she had some frame of reference, some worldview that, that had God in it. She wasn't yet a believer in Jesus Christ. And so when she heard the gospel, it says she was baptized. And she became one of the first members of the Church of Philippi. Did, did you know Lydia was a member of the Church of Philippi? Maybe you did, maybe you didn't. Uh, it's interesting to me when I started reading all this together. Often we will we'll kind of read through the, the New Testament, and if we're not careful to maybe look at a, at a... I had to go outside of the Bible to somebody who had compiled a list of, like, Paul's journeys together with all of his letters, because what happens in the Scripture, it doesn't happen in, uh, in, in order, so you, they kind of jump around. The books that are being written, especially like you know, 1st, 2nd Corinthians, uh, Galatians, Ephesians, uh, Philippians, these are being written in the context of Acts. And so it would be nice if Acts said, if it just stopped, you know, and it said, and Paul wrote Ephesians here, but it doesn't say that. It would be nice if it did, but it doesn't. Uh, so while, while I often encourage you just to stick with the Bible, it's not a bad idea if you're really interested uh, how the fabric of the whole story of the New Testament lays out. It's not a bad idea to look up uh, a timeline of Scripture, and you can see how all these fit together. And, and I'm going to be honest with you. I've read this story a lot of times, and for some reason it never, it never occurred to me that this was the planting of the church in Philippi, the very church that Paul would write 10 years later, the book, the letter to the Philippians. Okay, so Lydia, first member. And, and, and I'm going to say undoubtedly some of her household, because it says, verse 15, and her household as well was baptized. She was baptized and her household as well. That happened often in New Testament times. And, and it's interesting, um, I think it happens that way in other cultures, maybe not as much in the United States. But we know in Poland where we worked, there are still missionary teams working there. And often whole families will come to faith in Christ. Because there's usually one person in the family that's like the tribal gatekeeper, if you will, uh, of, of faith in the family. And when that person hears the gospel and is saved, and they look to the rest of the family, the family and they say, hey, this is true. You should follow too. Often, the rest of the family will also be saved. So you'll see this. There's another story in a moment where you'll see that the rest of the family is, sa is saved as well as that, that, that gatekeeper, if you will. Starting in verse 16, we're going to continue to read. So there are our first members. We don't know how many, but several. Uh, Paul, uh, verse 16, it says, As we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune-telling. She followed Paul and us, crying out, These men are the servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And she kept doing this for many days. <laughs> and uh, Paul, I love Paul, having become greatly annoyed 
In case you didn't know it, Paul was a human being. In case you haven't read enough of the New Testament, Paul, obviously, he had a sharp disagreement with Barnabas to the point where they separated paths. Now he's greatly annoyed. It says he turned and he said to the spirit, I command you in the name of, the Jesus, in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out at this very hour. Uh, scripture doesn't specifically say that the slave girl became a member of the church in Philippi, although I would think it would be likely. Um, but it doesn't say it, so we can't know for sure. So I put a question mark next to that one. So we have Lydia and her household. We have possibly the slave girl. And in the third story starts almost immediately. It picks up right at the moment um, that she is um, saved, not biblically into Christ, but saved out of the bondage, if you will, to the spirit that was in her. In verse 19, it says, but, <laughs> you know something's coming. But when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas. We don't know where Timothy is. Um, there's a lot of debate whether Timothy was part of this or not, or whether he was on onlooker, or whether he was somewhere else. We don't know, but we know for sure. Paul and Silas were seized, dragged into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had been brought to the magistrates, they said, these men are Jews and they are disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joining the attack and the magistrates tore the garments off them and gave orders to beat them with rods. When they had afflicted upon them uh, many blows, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them in the inner prison and fastened their feet in stocks. So these guys, there was an outer prison, there was an inner prison, and then were stocks. These guys were like secure. I don't know if this was the equivalent of maximum security, um, but it was at least medium, right? Maximum security is probably you're tossed in a pit with no way out. Um, at least these, there were doors, there were doors, and then there were stocks. So, so we'll say medium security. Um, and they, they, were, they were bound and they were unable to get out. Now this is where it gets interesting again. This is about midnight. Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God and the prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly there was a, a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaking. You know there's a lot of earthquakes in this part of the world. I love that, uh, that there's an earthquake in this. Um, it says this, The foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's bonds were unfastened. What an earthquake. The doors came open, and the bonds, the stocks open. At this moment, the jailer awakes, Right? The jailer awoke, he saw the prison doors were open, he drew his sword, was about to kill himself, supposing the prisoners had escaped, but Paul cried out with a loud voice, do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And the jailer called for the lights, and he rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? What must I do to be saved? The question every church planter wants to hear somebody asked them. Uh, it doesn't happen often, but it happens. Often you're the one sharing the gospel, and they're the ones listening and hearing and being changed by it, and then they accept Christ. But every once in a while, somebody comes to you and says, what do I need to do to be saved? And you're like, wow, hallelujah, this is like a, an amazing moment. Let me tell you about my Jesus Christ. So Paul, seizing on that moment, answered the question saying, believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. They spoke to the word of the Lord of him and to all who were in his house. And he took them that same hour of the night, washed their wounds, and he was baptized at once. He and all his family, again, he was that, that, 
I say tribal, uh, but he was that, that lead uh, patriarch, apparently, in this family who guarded the way of faith in his family. And when he came to faith in Christ, he opened the door for the rest of his family to come to faith in Christ. They all heard the gospel. They were all transformed by the gospel. They were all baptized. So that's, uh, you know, this happened just over the course of a couple days. He went from zero to, I don't know, Lydia's family probably had several, uh, maybe the slave girl, the jailer and his family had several. So he went from zero to 10 in, in almost no time at all. It says in verse 34, he brought them up into his house, he set food before them, and he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. But when it was day, the magistrates sent the police saying, let these men go. And the jailer reported these words to Paul saying, the magistrates have sent to let you go. Therefore, come out now and go in peace. But Paul said to them, this is interesting, Paul wanted to push it. Paul said, they have beaten us publicly, uncondemned men who are Roman citizens. Now, this is significant because you don't do this to Roman citizens. They have thrown us into prison, and now do they throw us out secretly? No. <laughs> Let them come themselves and take us out. The police report, uh, reported these words to the magistrates. The magistrates were afraid when they heard that the men were Roman citizens. So they came and apologized, and they took them out, asked them to leave the city uh, so they went out of the prison, and they went to visit Lydia, and when, she had, uh, when they had seen the brothers, they encouraged them and then departed. So um, I wanted to go through this today because this is a fascinating story just in itself of, of obedience, of listening to uh, of God, uh, of God's, um, listening to God's direction and, and plans and purposes. And so often we get hung up on what we think we're going to do and how we think we're going to do it and where we're going to go and what we're going to do and what it's going to look like um, that we can miss what is actually supposed to happen. So I, I wrote down some takeaways here. Uh, really, remember, this is to set us up for the book of Philippians, which will start next week, a book that Paul wrote and sent to the church in Philippi about 10 years after these events. But some takeaways from this. First, they went as a team. This is important for us. Uh, don't do things by yourself. <laughs> Go as a team. Find a team of people to work with. Uh, whatever it is you're doing, whether it's starting a church, uh, whether it's whatever. The Lord, uh, I don't think the Lord often sends people to do stuff by themselves. He sent Paul and he sent Silas and he sent Timothy, three adult men, out to plant this church. So don't do things on your own. Next, remember to be sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit. Uh, the, uh, again, we, we've planted churches before, and you always have lots of ideas and dreams and visions of what you think it will be like, and then you start working, and it turns out to be something completely different. And it has been no exception to that, uh, whether it was in Texas, um, one of the churches we helped start was in Spokane, Washington. Uh, that turned out totally different. The church in Ohio was different. Montana was different. Poland was, was way different. And honestly, everything we've done here uh, at Elmwood Park Community Church has turned out differently than we envisioned. Uh, and that's okay. You just have to remember you're on God's timeline and God's plan, and uh, he's doing things that you don't know what they are, so you join him where he is at. That's a, an experience in God. Anybody ever done experience in God? You see where God's at work, and you join him where he's at. 
The team was sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit when they said, when, when the Spirit said, no, don't go to Asia. No, don't go to Bithynia. Go to Macedonia. They were like, okay. They, they supposed that they had heard right. Yeah, they went and they followed. Another thing they did is they pivoted. We're getting good at that word and some of us are probably sick of it. We've done a lot of pivoting, but they pivoted when things didn't go as expected. Um, I say this because it, it connects to part four, uh, which is the team was faithful with the people they came across. I sincerely doubt Paul went into the city and thought, we're going to get uh, a lady that sells purple, a slave girl, and the guy that's the, the jailer and start a church with these people. I, I just have a feeling. Of course, now Paul is pretty savvy. It's not his first church plant. It's his second journey. Uh, he was going through places, encouraging people in places that had started churches in previously. So it wasn't his first rodeo. But I still have to expect that Paul was probably surprised. You just never know who the Lord is going to use. Um, and, and I think a lot of times we think in a church plant, man, wouldn't it be nice if we started a church and like all the rich people got saved? <laughs> Right? Because then the church could pay for itself. And wouldn't it be really cool if like the governor or the mayor or the president or whatever you're the, you know, the village or the town or the place you're in, wouldn't it be really cool if that guy got saved and started coming to church? And wouldn't it be cool, and, and you have these, these, these broad ideas of wouldn't it be cool if it was this person or that person, when in reality, God knows. And God has, has in, in, in most cases in church planning, God is going before. And I say most cases because sometimes people are going places they shouldn't have gone to begin with because they didn't listen. But in my experience, when people go to the places that, that the Lord wants them to go, he's already softened the hearts such to the point that there are people that say, hey, tell me how to be saved. That the Lord has softened their heart. And I think sometimes church planners, we, we can get, and I say we because we've been one, you never know what will happen again in the future. The church may start a church, I hope. I know if John Yee had his way, we'll be starting a church, right, John? Because that's what churches do. They reproduce. Think, uh, you can thank me later. <laughs> but I have to think that we get these ideas of what we think we'd like it to be like and the people we would like it to be and the place we would like it to be. And, and, and then it, it becomes something else totally different when we're faithful to go to the people the Lord's already working with. Because like I was saying, all those places we were at, it, it wasn't like pulling teeth in sharing the gospel. Because the Lord had gone before us. And I think sometimes we think we get missionaries probably sometimes get this idea. Maybe church planners. We get this idea that I'm, I'm like, well, God's sending me to do this, this work, and, you know, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring the gospel to a place it's never been before. And you get there, and you realize the Lord's already been at work ahead of you, that he's already been softening hearts. He's already been spreading his gospel. He's already had other people plant seeds of the gospel in people's lives, and then you just get the, the, the benefit, if you will, and the blessing of being there at the moment when they sprout and say, hey, tell me, how, do I, how can I be saved? How can I know uh, and see the gospel of Jesus Christ alive in me? And you get to tell them how to be saved. You get to see them baptized. You get to build them into a church or see God build his church right in front of you. So remember to be faithful. Don't assume you know who God will work in and through. Because we always, I think we, we, we can fall into that trap. 
You ever said that about somebody? Well, I never thought that person would come to faith in Christ. I never thought God could use that guy or that lady or that kid. I, I've said that before. It, it's shocking. God can do whatever he wants, though, and through whoever he wants. They started the church with the ones who were ready to receive the message of the gospel. So the church in Philippi is planted. It started. And now when we read next week and the weeks after that, the words that Paul writes to the church in Philippi, we can imagine Lydia, possibly the slave girl, Lydia's family, the jailer, and some of the jailer's family. We don't know how many or, or how big it was. We can imagine that these are the folks that are receiving the word and are probably some of the, the leading or, or, if you will, founding members of the church. We don't necessarily know who the other members will, will be at this point, but we can imagine in our mind the, the, the starting of the church in Philippi, what it looked like, who is there, and who's receiving the message. So again, when we pick up next week, 10 years will have passed between the forming of the church in Philippi and the writing of the letter. Now, we talked a lot today about the gospel and the spreading of the gospel. Uh, and that is the most important thing that we can talk about on, on any day. Uh, every message that we talk about from Scripture should always tie back into the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, that was on Paul's heart, uh, and he would tell um, and, and share the gospel with anyone who would listen and anyone who wouldn't listen. <laughs> I love the story of the jail. They were singing they were sharing, they were talking, and what, what was going on in the background? The prisoners were listening, right? It, it's not unlikely that some of those prisoners may have also become members. And the jailer was obviously holding a respected job in the community because he was protecting the community from criminals who were thrown in jail, and he had to ear the magistrates and the police. And so it's not unlikely that the message of the gospel spread from the jailer to the people that he had contact with. And you remember Lydia was outside at the river gathered with other women, right? Uh, and they were gathered there for prayer, and she was a God-fearer. It's not unlikely that there were other women there who also heard the gospel through Lydia's testimony and also became saved. So you can see very quickly in rapid succession, these three stories could have led to uh, an explosive start to that church. Why do I share this? <laughs> because we need to be talking about the gospel. We need to be singing about it. We need to be communicating about it, not just to one another here, but to our neighbors, our friends, our coworkers. Uh, it's the call of every Christian to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. What is the gospel of Jesus Christ? Jesus Christ, uh, uh, holy God and holy man came to earth. He walked on the earth. He was here for about 33 years. He taught the disciples. Um, he taught about who God was, who the Spirit was, and he led a life that was perfect and sinless. Now we know, going back to Genesis, we were separated from God. Adam and Eve sinned, were thrown from the garden, and there was this enmity. There was this, this gap, this uncrossable chasm, if you will, between God and man, and we couldn't get across. Um, and Jesus Christ says that he came to make a way for us to cross that, to have a right relationship again with God. He came to fix what was broken in the original sin in the garden that now affects all men, all women, all children for all time. We couldn't pay for that sin ourselves. 
We couldn't do enough good works. You know why? The wages of sin, one, is death. We, we would like to think there's a cosmic scale. I can balance the, the bad with the good. If I do enough good, it'll outbalance the bad. But God's cosmic scale is the weight of sin is um, insurmountable by any amount of good we could ever possibly do. So there had to be another solution. That solution was Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, the man, the God, the God-man, all at the same time took our sin, my sin, your sin, the sin of all, past, present, future, to the cross. He died. He was buried, but he didn't stay dead. That's the best part of the news. He rose again, and he did this to overcome death and sin. He paid for with his life what we couldn't pay for with ours. The wages of sin is death. We know that, but we also know Scripture teaches that sin cannot be forgiven without the spilling of blood. So the only way to forgive sin is for something to die. The Old Testament, they would sacrifice animals. That's why they would do that. Uh, and it had to be repeated year after year after year. The priest would go to the temple. He would sacrifice for the people. Sin would be covered. But guess what? Immediately everybody left. They went out and they sinned again. Now the sin's uncovered again. Well, Jesus was the once and only for all time sacrifice for sin that could never be undone or taken away. That is an Amen. That's what the gospel is, folks. And now he, he, he says, I died and carried your sin for you. I rose again, and now I wait. I've extended the gospel branch, if you will. And I've called, and I'm calling, and I'm calling you in, and I'm saying, come, accept. Accept the gospel of Jesus Christ. Accept my gift. Scripture says, if you call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. Saved from what? Well, the wages of sin is death. Death is eternal separation from God for all time and eternity. It's a, there's a heaven, there's a hell, there's an afterlife. Uh, whatever hell looks like, we don't need to debate it. We, we do know this. Hell is everything God is not. It's complete separation. It's complete absence. It's complete, it's gone. We have a little bit of God here because God created this world. We can see the evidence of God around us. Scripture said there's enough evidence in the creation of the world and the beauty around us that, that gives us evidence for who God is. But, but thankfully, <laughs> he knows we're not very smart, so he sent Christ <laughs> to make it plain that if we call in the name of Jesus Christ, we believe in our heart God raised him from the dead, we can be saved. That's the gospel message that Paul sat down that day in some form and spoke to Lydia. That's the gospel message that he hopefully, possibly, hopefully got to share with the slave girl. Again, we don't know. That's the gospel message he shared with the jailer and his whole household. That's the message that they all responded to. And then the result of salvation, the, the follow-up, if you will, to salvation is baptism. You see in all those stories, they believed, they heard the gospel, they responded, then they were baptized. And that's what the gospel is, folks. We just got to learn how to talk about it. We have to learn how to explain it. We have to learn how to have conversations uh, of our lives seasoned with the salt of the gospel at all times. Now, if you're here today and you're like, wow, I heard that story in a way I hadn't heard it before, and I know now I have to respond to the gospel, you can do it right where you're at. You don't have to come down to the front. You don't have to be embarrassed. You don't have to do anything crazy. Um, you know, later you can get baptized. <laughs> But today, right where you're sitting or right where you're watching, if it's online, you can just say, Lord Jesus Christ, I believe in my heart that God raised you from the dead, and I ask you now today, Jesus Christ, save me from my sins. And it says in Scripture, if we do that, he'll save us. He has already paid for us. 
and he'll welcome us into the kingdom. Scripture says he'll take us out of what is old in our life, what's broken, what's sinful, what's ugly, what's damaging. He said take us out of the old and he'll put us in something new, that the old is gone and the new has come. And then he begins the work of transformation in us. We're going to talk. It was interesting. Philippians talks about working out your salvation. So we're going to talk about that in the weeks to come. But as soon as you're saved and you're baptized, the work begins. The transformation. You're still going to slip a little. You're still going to be a little bit of the old you and the new you combined. And God, through Christ and the Holy Spirit, will work to, to chip away the old and transform the old and make you something new and make you something beautiful and make you something usable to him. Uh, the, the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ is not only that you're saved from a life absent of God when you die and, and secured in a place of heaven, but it's also that you have an abundant life now. Now, I don't mean abundance like you're going to get, you know, passing out the cash or anything. It's not that kind of abundance. There are churches that will say that and teach that and say, if you don't believe hard enough, you don't have it. Well, that's your fault. You don't have enough faith. We're not, well, that's not what I'm talking about. You'll have an abundant life now, though abundantly filled with other fellow believers who are walking the same way. Other people in the church, uh, a, 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 a goal, a purpose in this word, world, a reason, a reason to get up in the morning, a reason bigger than going to work, making some money so I can pay for the house, a reason that's bigger than go to college and get a degree so I can get a job. There, there are bigger and better reasons, and God will save you out of the old into the new and purpose you for those new reasons. I'm going to pray. We're going to close by singing the doxology in a moment. Um, and, uh, and then I'm just going to encourage you, there's probably still some coffee. Uh, we have guests today, uh, folks, maybe some we haven't seen in a while. Welcome back, guys. Haven't seen, uh, seen you guys in a little bit. It's good. It's, it, it's awesome to see the family of God gathered together in the local church. So take some time to enjoy one another as the body of Christ. Uh, but again, as we pray now, uh, if you've never asked Christ into your heart, just ask right where you're at as we pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for what it does in our hearts and our lives. We thank you that you have made a way for what was broken in the garden in sin to be made right through Christ. Uh, Lord, some of us today in here are in Christ, and we know that we can, we can think about the day and the time and the hour and the moment when you changed us, when you came into our lives, when you sealed our lives with the Holy Spirit, and you made what was old new. We can remember back to the day we were baptized. We can remember uh, days where we've seen you move in our lives throughout the years as we have sought to follow you. And we can see the transformation of what we used to be compared to who we are today. And we long for what we will be. But most of all, Lord, we long uh, to be like your son, Jesus Christ. Some of us today here, Lord, uh, maybe online, maybe in person, uh, we're not there yet. Uh, Lord, soften hearts. Call people to yourself. Um, and, and I pray, Lord, people will respond to your calling. That you will call and they will respond and say, yes, Lord. Please save me. Forgive me of my sin. Uh, thank you for saving me uh, in the power uh, of, of your spirit and what you did on the cross for me. Um, and Lord, sometimes uh, we make too little of that and sometimes we make too much. Uh, but Lord, I suspect it's somewhere in the middle. It's somewhere in the middle. We just need to come to you. We just need to be honest that we're not it and you are. And so Lord, maybe even all of us today could admit to that. 
uh, whether we're following you and we're in you or whether we're on the way or whether we're deciding today, Lord, we are not where you want us to be yet. So wherever we're at today, Lord, continue to transform us, continue to change us, continue to soften us to the gospel, whether it's a gospel we've received and need to share or whether it's a gospel we're receiving today. Lord, soften us to hear your heart and your words. Lord, we thank you for Paul and Silas and Timothy and their faithfulness to listen to you, to pivot, uh, to go where you said to go, to stay away from where you said to stay away. Uh, Lord, to go into the hard places, to be beaten and jailed in order to share the gospel of Christ uh, with a family that needed to hear. And Lord, out of all of those stories we read today and many others we don't know, we can only imagine what they could have been like. You built a church in Philippi. And Lord, we know that you're building a church here in Elmwood Park. And we have stories all across this room uh, of ways that you're working and ways that you're drawing and hearts that you're changing. And Lord, we thank you for that. And we pray that as you build this church, it becomes a church that is a beacon for this community of hope and of love and of the grace that's available for every person that we might know uh, that this church is doing the thing that you've called it to do in this community. And Lord, you drew together a team that started this church years ago. You drew it to a place. You made a core of people. Uh, one or two of those are still around today. I'm not going to point out who they are, Dick and Lorraine. But uh, <laughs> we do love, Lord, what you're doing here. And we're awed by it. And it's amazing to see uh, where it's going to go. Um, Lord, continue to knit us together as a church. And continue to lay before us the vision that you have, that we not get ahead of ourselves and think we know what we're supposed to do here without asking you first. So lead this church, Lord. It's your church. It's your bride. Uh, another message altogether, but Lord, we, we love you and we want to honor you as a church, as individuals, as a body today to do the things you want us to do in this community and to be who you want us to be. Lord, change us as you continue working out your salvation in each of us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So we're going to close uh, and sing the doctor.